Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Our weekly technology panel is going to join us today. We're going to discuss everything from foldable phones to airplane security. But first, I do want to mention some upcoming BIV events. February 28th, that's a little bit later on this week at the Shangri-La Hotel. The newspaper is facilitating an expert retirement-ready panel discussion on how and when to retire. And then coming up March 8th at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel, we have the 20th anniversary of the Influential Women in Business Award, so you don't want to miss that. Go to BIV.com events for more details. In the meantime, let's get started with our technology panel. And joining us now for BIV's weekly technology panel, it is Ali Portad, CEO of Progressa. He's calling in from Toronto. And then Linda Faka, CEO of Glue Technology Society. She's calling in as well. Linda, Ali, thank you both for joining us on the program today. Thank you. Okay, so over the weekend, Huawei and Samsung, they, they debuted their foldable smartphones. I've kind of mesmerized by this. I was very skeptical going in, but they're essentially turning their smartphones into tablets that can unfold and refold. The biggest distinction is that the Mate X, that's the Huawei phone, it has a wraparound display, which is very cool. Whereas the Galaxy Fold, it opens more kind of like that clamshell, kind of like a book sort of look. Uh, I'll throw it over to you, Linda. Are you intrigued by this? Are you still a little skeptical? Is it something that you might consider a few years down the road when the price points become a little bit more attainable? Yeah, I'm very intrigued by it. I think I'm on Team Fold for sure. This is incredible, cool technology. But right now, the profile is too fat. The phone is heavy. It's not going to fit in the back pocket of my skinny jeans. And the price tag uh, is you know, right through the roof. But I think they're going to iterate all those problems away. And, and I easily see a time when uh, we folding phones are quite common. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Ali, are you just waiting for maybe the, the second or third generation before you think seriously about these devices? Or are you still a little bit like, I don't know, hemming and hawing about whether this might be something you even need? No, I, I'm actually uh, very intrigued by this, Tyler. I think I could see myself buying one of these relatively quickly. Um, I mean, hopefully the uh, the telecom providers are subsidizing the costs for consumers. But, uh, you know, this this looks like it has lots of practical applications. I'm one of those individuals who doesn't carry around a tablet uh, because I feel like a tablet's too big, but I definitely could use more screen space. So this definitely solves the problem for me. And uh, uh, I probably see myself getting one sooner rather than later. Well, so Linda revealed that she's definitely into the Galaxy Fold. I'm very, very much entranced by what the Mate X is doing with that wraparound display. I'm wondering where, maybe you can be the tiebreaker, Ali. Which one are you leaning towards at this point? Yeah, no, I think I think the Fold will do better. I think it's just probably a little bit more practical. Uh, you know, it sort of opens like a book, right? So that probably will work better for most applications, I would think. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's applications we're not really thinking of. I mean, maybe the the Huawei uh, Mate, you know, opens up uh, a door to new types of applications that we're not thinking about today. I guess my, I mean, my question in all of this, when I when I saw these phones and I was so mesmerized by them, my question is, where is Apple? And you, Apple's, yeah. Apple has kind of been slow to the table for a lot of innovations recently. They've mostly just been refining the stuff that we're used to seeing. And I'm wondering, Linda, I, I mean, do you think that it's just inevitable that we're going to have to get an announcement from Apple, I guess, sometime this year? 
Well, you got to remember that Apple doesn't jump ahead in technology. They wait and see what the market's doing, and they dive in when they feel that they can perfect it. And this technology is far from perfect. I'm not going to spend $2,500 on a device where I can see any kind of seam down the center. The uh, the devices are too thick. They don't close completely. All those issues, I would expect uh, there's a good chance Apple's going to hit the market before they figured out all of that and the weight and the price and the whole thing. So um, uh, Apple will get into the game. Um, absolutely. It's going to be, I guess, a merge between the iPhone XS uh, match, the big iPhone and their tablet. We'll see perhaps that happening, but um, they'll get into the game, just not yet. They, it, they rarely it, jump in first on this kind of stuff. Yeah, it should be, it should be interesting to see uh, how quickly they do because they are they are starting to lose market share and like global market share and their and their sort of their phone sales have been down. So you know it'll be interesting to see how they cave to the pressure. Uh, I mean even here in Toronto when I'm uh, when I'm walking around I, I can start to see the new Samsung uh, line of phones, the Samsung S10, and sort of the whole lineup of the S10 is uh, they're they're starting to get that hyped up. And and you have a, a nice sort of variation in phone sizes. It, it is priced expensive, and again I. I keep bringing back the, the point that, you know, hopefully the cell phone providers will, will largely subsidize those costs for consumers. But, you know, you can't help but think, what is Apple doing? Are they are they going to sit around and, and let Samsung come out with all kinds of different shapes and sizes? And, and now with this foldable phone, uh, you have to think they're going to they're gonna be feeling the pressure. Yeah, what we know is on the phone and on the tablet. And we've sort of maxed out at the physical size of phone we're all willing to stick in our back pocket. So if we want to make that bigger, we're going to have to start folding it, right? There's no other place to go. And as Ali said, iPads or tablets can be clunky to carry around. So we need we need to figure this out because most people don't want to have both devices with them. They want one that can do everything. But these guys aren't on. This is a big, heavy phone and a small tablet. So we're not we're not there yet, I don't think. Well, the only thing I'll jump on, uh, Linda, you brought up there with regards to the tablets and what Apple may want to do with them if they're going to eventually, I guess, converge into one sort of device. But do you think Apple would have concerns about what would essentially amount to cannibalizing their own iPad market by combining these into a single device? Or do you think that there's going to have to be that delineation just because of the, the prices that would be involved with a device such as this coming from Apple? I think ta- where tablets uh, are cannibalizing Apple's product line is within the MacBook and the laptop range. We're going to we see a mashup between tablet and and laptop, um, and those lines are going to start to overlap, and those lines will get very blurry uh, as they are now with the new iPad Pro. A lot of students moving to the iPad Pro, so they don't have to carry around a laptop all the time. I don't see tablets and laptops heading over into the phone world. But I see people carrying around a laptop and a tablet less often if they had enough screen real estate on their phone to make it actually usable at times when they needed to read text or edit documents or do whatever you're going to do that needs screen real estate. And the right. foldable phones, by the way, super cool for gaming, right? This opens up worlds of gaming, like Ali said. Exciting to see what these gamers are going to create with this foldable tech. We can play Battleship with each other and stuff. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one of the, one of the few games I, I've ever been good at playing, and, and there aren't many, was uh, Halo back on the uh, Xbox 360 system, and it, it actually brings us to our next topic because Microsoft, which of course is behind that, uh, they are getting a little bit of pushback from a small number of employees 
that actually penned a letter to the CEO and the president protesting that the company has a $480 million U.S. contract with the U.S. military to supply it with those hollow lens headsets, essentially for combat purposes, making it easier for soldiers to better target their opponents on the battlefield, making it more efficient to kill people, essentially, which, again, I go back to what those uh, soldiers were doing in those Halo games. That's uh, maybe a, a clunky segue there. But let me ask you this, uh, Ali. Do you think that the workers have a point to a certain degree? Or do you think they kind of must have known what they're getting into when they signed up to work on maybe a project like this? Oh, I'm sure that I'm sure the employees have, have some knowledge of the practical applications of what they're doing, but but likely from a strategy standpoint are not uh, not too involved in uh, you know who the end customer is going to be, especially on the development side. It sounds like uh, you know the dozens or dozens or so of employees who who are protesting this issue um, were, I think, more on the development side, and so. I wouldn't expect them to be uh, exposed to, uh, you know, the, the sort of the end practical application of this. Although, you know, you, you as you're developing these things, I'm sure, you know, you guys are smart people, and I'm sure you can think of all the potential uh, practical uses of them. And uh, I mean, this this is only approximately 40 or 50 employees. I think Microsoft has, you know, 150,000 employees. So. Uh, we're not we're not talking about uh, you know a, a total shakeup here at Microsoft, but uh, nevertheless, it, it uh, this is the practical <clears throat> practical reality of the world we live in today, and, and there's you know equally uh, equally controversial and uh, equally uh, scary things coming out of the AI world with uh, some of Microsoft's competitors. Yeah, is this uh, something you would consider in the uh, the realm of the, the scary to a certain degree, Linda? When we can expect even more, I guess, confluences between technology and military applications. I, I should say, like high technology and military applications moving forward. Is this kind of just a taste of what more is going to come? And I guess would that lead to even more protests from other employees involved at different companies? Absolutely. This is scary technology. It's also the way, exactly right, the way the world is going. The Army of None book discusses the concept of all of these automated technologies hitting the battlefield. Uh, Nadella has said that Microsoft is going to offer their technology to any any democratically elected government. So I expect that his way of saying to those employees, move to another department because this deal is going ahead. Um, this is technology that's going to keep humans safe and is going to enable who, whatever governments are using it to be more effective in the battlefield at assessing threats from um, bad actors and understanding the health and safety of the people wearing them, concussion protocols and heart rate monitors and things like that. So it's, it's, it's happening. It's scary. It's incredibly useful and cool. And I want the big tech companies to be very, part, very much part of this conversation because these are devices that work over networks that need to be secure, that need to have all the big tech, tech companies putting their smartest brains on it so that if uh, this tech can't get in the hands of the people we uh, we don't want to have access to it. But there's, you know, Australia, Ukraine, Israel, these co- countries have been buying this development kits for HoloLens for a few years now. So it, it's coming to a war theater near you. Right. Uh, again, 
kind of frightening to think about. Uh, and, and I do suppose that there are a number of people that were working on the development side for the HoloLens for a number of years, and they just did not imagine that what they're doing is essentially going to be used to help uh, essentially mo- kill people more efficiently, which is kind of a frightening thought for a lot of people. But as you said, the, uh, the leadership team, they made a point saying, like, if you have any ethical objections, you're free to depart and go to another team. And so I think they're leaving that door open. And I guess it's really now up to employees whether they want to stick around Microsoft. Um, one last topic I'll throw to you guys. Uh, airline passengers raising some privacy concerns after spotting cameras in their in-flight entertainment system. You know, you, you sit down, you look at your screen, and what if there's like a camera staring right back at you? This is what people are complaining about on certain planes used by American Airlines and Singapore Airlines. Now, those airlines, they say that they were actually pre-installed by the original manufacturer. But, Ali, you take a lot of flights. I know that. Um, would this kind of, like, freak you out just a little bit seeing a camera staring right back at you? What, what would your initial reaction be seeing this? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd probably be very curious and go on the go on the screen and try to make the camera work and figure out a way to talk to my family. But yeah, uh, it doesn't sound like that's, uh, that's what's going on here. It sounds like... Uh, you know, these planes were, were retrofitted with these cameras and uh, the airlines had no sort of intention to um, actually uh, hook them up to their in-flight entertainment systems. Uh, but, but with that being said, I, I mean, you know, you, you can see why this is a concern. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about it. This is 2019. We've now seen over and over again uh, situations like this where companies um, have made assumptions around technology and they've got bit. And so uh, the very, very fact that, uh, you know, there was an article written about this and that people are speaking up is definitely a good thing, in my view. Well, from your perspective, uh, Linda, I don't know, would you take a piece of tape and cover it or would you, uh, you know, pull an alley port at it and try to see if you can tap into it? I definitely try to control it. I'd bring my sticky notes with me as I do with my computer, cover the camera with a sticky note. I like some of the technology uh, ideas around how this, um, these cameras can be used to help us check in at immigration before our flight lands is one concept, using some sort of face biometric technology to pay for stuff as you're flying, um, and seat-to-seat conference calling is another idea that these uh, OEMs are coming up with for these use of these cameras, all of which, none of which we need if we just have a Wi-Fi connection we can use on the plane and we pull out our smartphones uh, to do all that. But I, I do have to say that I'm not concerned there's a camera in the seat in front of me. If I can control it, something as simple as a sticky note. These, um, an airplane is not a place I expect privacy. I don't want anyone to expect privacy on an airplane. Um, they're safer with cameras, hidden and non-hidden cameras. So I don't have an issue with it. But what I do find interesting is that it's an indication that OEMs, these manufacturers, are sticking this technology into everything. The backs of uh, airplane seats, dishwashers, microwaves, washing machines. All these sensors are getting stuck into these devices with the expectation that they'll figure out later how to activate them and use them. And that's um, an interesting time we live in. Yes, uh, I, I'm just concerned about uh, all the sticky notes that I'll be uh, throwing in my dishwasher uh, pretty soon at, at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, Ali, Linda, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys.
That's Linda Fakas, CEO of Glue Technology Society, and Ali Pordad, CEO of Progressa. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Tell your friends as it's going to help more people find us online. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.